0: Welcome to the Advancing Women Podcast, where ambitious women come together to challenge the status quo, advance their careers, and up-level their lives. The Advancing Women Podcast is hosted by gender equity expert and executive coach, Dr. Kimberly D. Simone. Welcome, warriors, to the Advancing Women Podcast. Have you been called bossy or pushy at work when you were just doing your job? Have you been tough when necessary only to be deemed difficult, difficult to work for or with? The explanation for this can be found in the stereotypes around professionals and leadership. Often the automatic association most people make with the word leader is male. This is a very well-researched and supported theory. It's called Think Leader, Think Male, and it's the idea that men and masculine qualities and characteristics are seen as optimal or ideal in the workplace. Gender socialization theory is also central to the discussion of women's advancement in the workforce and tightrope bias and the likability dilemma. Gender socialization is about the behavior and attitudes considered appropriate for a given gender and how those expectations create both descriptive and prescriptive stereotypes and biases. Descriptive bias is what we believe women are like. It describes stereotypical traits in women. And prescriptive bias is what we believe women should be like, how women should act to be in alignment with gendered expectations. Prescriptive bias defaults to the assumption that to be successful in the workplace, women must exhibit masculine attributes, and this creates a tightrope women need to balance because research shows that women showing stereotypically male behaviors are perceived as violating gender normative expectations. Indeed, researchers have confirmed that women who violate stereotypically feminine social norms are often disliked and in turn penalized in their careers for violating gender norms. These stereotypes and biases result in negative expectations and evaluations of women's performance and potential. Although descriptive and prescriptive stereotypes operate through different mechanisms, they both serve to yield similar consequences, which result in a work environment that can be discriminatory and unwelcoming for women. The literature supports a pervasive belief in and acceptance of stereotypical male and female leadership traits in which males are expected to display agentic traits such as assertiveness, while female leaders are expected to display communal traits such as being nurturing. And guess which traits are more valued and more likely to get you promoted in the workforce? Agentic traits refer to qualities often seen as most relevant for goal attainment. Things like assertiveness, persistence, and independence. Communal traits refer to qualities relevant to the establishment and maintenance of social relationships, such as being helpful, kind, sympathetic, interpersonally sensitive, and nurturing. And research shows that in many workplaces, women wanting to advance often have to take on more, quote-unquote, masculine qualities to get ahead. They have to present as more ambitious, assertive, and competitive. Yet, we are still expected to maintain our, quote-unquote, feminine qualities of being caring, modest, helpful, and nice. Working to achieve this balance can leave women feeling exhausted. Like you're constantly making adjustments to your behavior as you figure out what's suitable behavior for ambitious women wanting to advance. Constantly trying to find that sweet spot. And that balance has been dubbed the tightrope bias. And the tightrope metaphor is a perfect metaphor in terms of the constant balancing act women often face in the workforce. The tightrope pattern correlates with assumptions about how women should behave. And it results in the double bind barrier whereby women who behave in traditionally feminine ways aren't viewed as leaders. And women who behave in ways seen as traditionally masculine are disliked and seen as lacking social skills. Damned if you do, doomed if you don't. The tightrope barrier bias was coined by Williams and Dempsey in their 2014 study of high-performing, high-potential women, and it may help explain why advancement strategies that work so well for men are not especially effective for women and can often result in backlash. This tightrope barrier really challenges conventional explanations as to why women's careers so often derail. The conventional explanation for women's lack of advancement at the top levels is that women's careers derail because they don't have enough ambition, because they don't ask, because they choose children over career, but really it's because they are not enough like men. So we give women and men the same best practice advice for advancement, but the research shows that when that leadership advice is taken by men, it will have very different outcomes than when the same advice is taken by women. This is an essential point because the advice given to women leaders often perpetuates the fallacy that if women do all the right things, they can level the playing field. And research and data show this is largely a myth. And gender socialization expectations, that tightrope bias, provide a more accurate understanding of the real social, cultural, and structural problems. The idea of women as not just different, but as deficit. How women wanting to advance are expected to cope and adapt, and how those coping and adapting strategies then create new problems. Women are trying to walk that tightrope and balance being assertive with being nice, and it still doesn't work. Traits women exhibit are still typically seen as a deficit that needs to be corrected. A listener reached out to me recently, and he's in a leadership role in the Fortune 500 and asked about women apologizing. And he asked this question, quote, I've been following many of your recent posts and episodes and have a genuine question. I'm in a position now at work where I get a lot of questions, and my challenge is when a male colleague asks a question, they just ask it. When my female colleagues ask a question, it's, I'm sorry, but I have a question. The I'm sorry part has been bugging me. They have zip to be sorry for, and a few times I've said that to them, that they really don't need to be sorry or that there's nothing to be sorry for. I'm happy to help. So I figured I'd ask, is it okay or good to say you really don't need to be sorry for asking, or should I just move on and forget it? So first of all, I want to commend this listener and all the male allies who listen and genuinely want to better understand the experience of women in the workforce and who want to be a part of the solution in helping advance women. Also, I did an episode on this topic specifically. I think it was episode 35 titled, Sorry, Not Sorry, Apologizing, Deflecting, and Undermining. And I'll include a link to that episode in the show notes. But here's the gist of that episode and the crux of my response. This is what I wrote back. It is important to deconstruct the real problem here. Understand the why in this example. Why are women so apt to apologize versus men? It is too often positioned as a gender deficiency. We need to stop problematizing women. And part of that is recognizing that women over-apologizing is a coping mechanism. And although it can be undermining, the apologizing itself is not the problem. It's a symptom of a larger problem that stems from gender socialization and unconscious bias. Be assertive, but be nice. And it speaks to the tightrope bias. And there are many examples of this. Women responding or coping really with biases and then being blamed. We see it in stop apologizing. We see it in advice for women to just negotiate more. It's that overall idea that if we quote, lean in, we can fix the gender leadership gap. And this is oversimplifying without acknowledging the well-entrenched biases and structures that create this internal conflict for women. Robin Hauser discusses this in her 2022 TED Talk, The Likeability Dilemma for Women Leaders. And she talks about how modern-day sexism is different than it was in the past, less blatant. Today's sexism is more subtle, but the impact can have the effect of a thousand cuts. She talks about how when women are assertive, it just lands differently. And again, this is well proven in the literature. You may have heard of the Heidi Howard experiment. It's a case study that really exemplifies what I'm talking about. And this study has inspired many subsequent research studies. So Heidi Roizen is a successful Silicon Valley venture capitalist who became the subject of a study at Columbia Business School. Professor Frank Flynn presented half of his class with an original case study about Heidi Roizen. The second half of his class received an altered case study in which Heidi's name was changed to Howard. The professors then surveyed the students about their impressions of Heidi or Howard. While both Heidi and Howard were rated as equally competent, students said they found Howard more likable than Heidi. They viewed Heidi as less humble, more power-hungry, and self-promoting than Howard. The students who received Howard's case study found him to be smart and likable, while the ones who received Heidi's case considered her to be smart, but too aggressive. So what did Heidi do differently? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Because both case studies were exactly the same. The only variable that was changed in the two case studies was the names, from Heidi to Howard. And this led the students to interpret Heidi and Howard's actions differently. Research confirms that the same behavior is interpreted differently when observed in women versus men. This is about gender socialization and gender stereotypes. Specifically, students felt Heidi was not only significantly less likable than Howard, but also less worthy of being hired than Howard. And the more assertive the student found the female in the case study to be, the more they rejected her. They perceived her as far more selfish than Howard. This study, and many like it, have demonstrated a negative correlation for women between power and success. For the men, the relationship is positive. Successful men are perceived as more powerful and are revered, not so much with women. So a fundamental challenge to women's leadership arises from the mismatch between the qualities traditionally associated with leaders and those traditionally associated with women. Again, this is gender socialization. The assertive, authoritative, and dominant behaviors that people link with leadership tend to not be viewed as attractive in women. Powerful men equals attractive men. Powerful women, not as much. Dr. Catherine Stanley, professor of organizational and leadership studies, reports the following, quote, the main challenge for women in leadership positions is managing the fundamental attribution errors made about them, due to gender biases in society. For example, when women leaders are as assertive as men, they are seen as less likable. The fundamental attribution error is that when women lead with a confident, direct style, they are self-serving. Conversely, when men lead in the same manner, they are well-intended, strong leaders. Therefore, women must work harder to be seen as well-intended, likable leaders. To do this, they must spend more time building relationships, especially with other female peers and subordinates. And so then, because women have to spend more time chatting to build relationships, they are sometimes judged as wasting time or are viewed as passive leaders, afraid to command. This double bind forces women to continue to walk that tightrope. The lead researcher for Sheryl Sandberg's best-selling book, Lean In, Women Work and the Will to Lead, Marianne Cooper, profiled the body of scientific research and noted that the data clearly show that success and likability do not go together for women. She explains how her research conclusions are all too familiar to the many women on the receiving end of these penalties. Women were applauded for delivering results at work, but then reprimanded for being too aggressive, out for herself, difficult, and abrasive. The psychological research on success likability penalties consistently shows that women and men can be viewed as similarly competent, yet still receive very different likability scores. When acting authoritatively, women leaders are disliked much more than men. To be clear, it is not that women are always disliked more than men when they are successful, but they are often penalized when they behave in ways that violate gender stereotypes, despite these being the very behaviors that have led to their success. Being aware of this is important so that we can truly evaluate what is really happening in companies and organizations. It's not about women being less competent or behaving vastly different than their male counterparts. What is really happening is studies continually find that high-achieving women experience social backlash because their very success, and specifically, the behaviors that created that success, violates our expectations about how women are supposed to behave. And that's that descriptive bias. Women are expected to be nice, warm, friendly, and nurturing. Thus, if a woman acts assertively or competitively, if she pushes her team to perform, if she exhibits decisive leadership, she is deviating from the social expectations that dictate how she should behave. And that's that prescriptive bias. By violating beliefs about what women are like or should be like, successful women elicit pushback from others for being insufficiently feminine. It is important to interrupt the narratives that don't serve women, that blame women and put the onus on women to change versus addressing evidence-based, well-entrenched gender bias we have to stop obscuring and downplaying the real penalties women pay for simply doing what they need to do and what men are allowed to do to get to the top. So the Advancing Women podcast is where empathy meets pragmatism. It's not our fault, but it is our problem. So beyond identifying and acknowledging the real problem, let's talk about what can be done, what women can do, and what organizations can and should do. Warrior Women, Although you shouldn't have to address this, the reality is we want to advance despite the inequitable biases and barriers. So the literature does provide some best practice advice. First, be mindful of your nonverbal communication, your body language, specifically the space you take up in meetings and in general at work. Research shows that the way you present the space you take up subconsciously signals status versus subordination, and that women too often, even on a subconscious level, stand small and take up less space. Be mindful of this. Walk into the room and stand like Wonder Woman. You'll look and feel more badass, I promise you. Next, stop apologizing. And again, I did an entire episode on this and I've included the link in the show notes, but it is undermining. And again, it's easy to understand why we do it. As women, we are socially conditioned to serve others, to be helpful. So when we ask for something, if we're not careful, people may potentially see us as bossy or prickly or difficult, sharp elbows. It's important though, to learn better strategies to address this, versus apologizing. Replacing sorry with thank you often does the trick. It softens the approach without undermining. For example, if someone had to wait for you on the phone, say, thank you for waiting, instead of sorry for making you wait. Instead of saying, I'm sorry to interrupt, try great points. I would like to add. You get the idea. And again, you can check out episode number 35, sorry, not sorry for more on this, but we must be really strategic about the way we present to ensure it's not undermining. Next, learn the strategic no. We must stop volunteering and or interrupt being assigned the quote unquote housekeeping projects at work that don't showcase our competence. Here again, I did two episodes on the art of saying no, and I'll include those links in the notes as well, but it's essential for us as women to focus our energy on high profile projects that move the needle. And to do that, we need to dump the projects that don't move the needle women are expected to do these types of projects. So the no must be handled with finesse and strategically. You must own the narrative and ensure it serves you. Another tip, and this one is tough to even mention because it's so unfair, but the reality is that as women, unfortunately at work, and I'm not talking about your personal life, but at work, being liked is less important than being seen as competent. It's not fair that women, but not men, have to make that choice at times, but nonetheless, it's a reality based on the research. Being liked is important, but it can't, for women, be our first priority. If you have to choose between being nice and being competent, choose competent. I also want to note that we have to be aware of -of tug-of-war bias, Pug of 4 bias can be a consequence of the strategies women implement to navigate the tightrope. That is, that balance between assimilating and resisting masculine traits. Research has found that navigating the tightrope can lead women to adopt different strategies that ultimately divide them. This leads to women judging each other on the right way to be a woman wanting to advance. In short, workforce bias against women fosters workforce conflict among women. And we can't let that happen. And so those are some of the strategies for women. But what about organizations? I conducted a research study a few years ago with successful women in the Fortune 500 who had been identified in their organizations as top talent. Consistently in the data I collected, participants mentioned performance evaluators used in all of their reviews, which require many stereotypically feminine soft skills, such as creating strong relationships and good communication skills as not only part of the evaluation process, but as key performance indicators tied to promotion. So in a nutshell, by prioritizing both agentic and communal traits in performance evaluations, the organization created a more gender egalitarian culture. And this is not the norm in most organizations, which tend to be androcentric, meaning men and masculine traits are viewed as the default. They're viewed as ideal. Yet research shows that more gender egalitarian cultural norms are associated with lower levels of vertical segregation. And vertical segregation is that broken pipeline where women don't get to those top levels of power, pay, and prestige. The data indicate that more balanced egalitarian cultures with agentic and communal traits as the norm can mediate tightrope gender bias. And many studies confirm this. In a study I conducted and published in 2018 on tying diversity initiatives to key performance indicators, I found that mentorship and sponsorship may help cultivate not only a more egalitarian culture, but also a culture of helping advance others as a means of advancing oneself win-win, especially when mentorship and talent development initiatives are tied to performance assessments. And organizations should not dump this on employees. They should not put the onus on women to find a mentor or sponsor. You want to promote more women? Think they need mentorship? Then encourage and reward that behavior in your organization. There are so many benefits for organizations willing to make these changes, to shift the prevailing mindset. Researchers have found that excellence in leadership is both agentic and communal, and this allows organizations to pull the best from everyone. So in closing, my manifest statement or key takeaway is this. We need to rethink, interrupt, and deconstruct completely the woman as deficit and male as the gold standard that still prevails in the workforce. The idea that agentic behaviors lead to the best outcomes not only fails to recognize the importance of communal leadership skills and traits, but importantly, it falls short in addressing what the research proves. Because of gender socialization, success and likability are positively correlated for men and negatively correlated for women. It is important to raise awareness of this topic among both men and women. That way we can challenge our own biases and critically assess how gender stereotypes manifest in our work environment in ways that keep women from reaching their full leadership potential. The research overwhelmingly shows that it is the balance of agentic and communal traits that are correlated with positive outcomes in leadership excellence, and so we should view agentic and communal qualities as a necessary leadership spectrum, rather than two sets of opposing ideals. For more resources, you can visit my website, www.advancingwomenpodcast.com, and connect on Instagram at advancingwomenpodcast. I love getting your feedback, so please email me at drdsimone at advancingwomenpodcast.com. I just want to thank Joe Jacobs, the audio warrior, who wrote the music for this podcast, and a huge thanks to Heather Harris, the creative warrior, who designed the Advancing Women podcast logo. And thanks to all of you for joining me here today.